Welcome to Technado. Welcome back to another episode of Technado. This podcast is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So if you're listening from the Technado website, look for that sponsored by button, click on that to go to the IT Pro website. And if you want to support the podcast, check out those courses. You can use the promo code Technado30 for a discount on your IT Pro membership. I'm your host for the show, Sophie Goodwin. I'm looking forward to getting into some of the news we've got this week. If you've been following along with some of our other episodes, we're, we're going to return to some more Microsoft news and it's going to be a fun time. But with me, of course, is Don Pazette. Don, how are you today? I am doing great. It's uh, you know, it's an exciting time to be alive. There's <laughs> so you live much. in interesting times. Yeah, yeah. There's so much going on out there. Uh, we've got some some follow up news that we want to touch on this week, which is good. Uh, but just a lot of exciting stuff going on. So it'll, it's a good episode, I'm yeah. sure. Certainly. Oh, it's oh, it's going to be great. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're setting the bar high already. And you know, Daniel's here. So hi, Daniel. Hello. <laughs> you ever have like uh, something stuck in your head randomly? I have that scene from the Burbs where Art and Ray are in the basement, they're looking at their, like, Necromicron or whatever it was, and he's chanting. For whatever reason, that scene is stuck in my head. You're telling me yeah. this like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, so The, the Burbs, uh, it's a great movie, if you ever see it, but because the name of the movie starts with an apostrophe, it's the first thing in my Plex it, library. Yep. And so I, I've watched that movie more than I should just because of that. Nah, you should watch it that much. <laughs> it's a good flick. It is a good <laughs> I'll do more research on that after the show. And also on Plex. And then not watch it. <laughs> I don't have one of those either. So, yeah. Eventually, I'll add it to the list. Sure. My mom did say if next time I go home, my, my dad would love to watch some of these movies with me, which makes sense. Well, it's because, right it, around your- because every episode, you point out his failures as a father. <laughs> <laughs> he's right around you guys' age. So yeah. It would make sense that he's into these Sir, movies. you had one job, okay? I'm, I'm just going to leave it there. Dad. I'm sorry, Dad, if you're watching. Yeah. We'll, we'll move on. We'll, we'll, we'll move stop, <laughs> stop berating my poor father. We'll go into our first article. This comes to us from Tom's Hardware. GDDR7 arrives, Samsung outs the world's first chip, 32 gigatransfers a second for next-gen CPUs. Did I say that right? Uh, you did, yeah. GPUs. I'm so close. You said that wrong. I said like, that wrong. You threw a question mark on it like the spec was in doubt. And I was like, oh, I, I, I think they're legit. I, I doubted it, yeah. <laughs> Have they verified this or is this fake news, Don? <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, you know, technology kind of... And it felt like it was advancing slowly. The The supply chain issues that were going on made it where new technology was being created, but not to mass market. Like you can go to the store and buy a lot of the cool things you were hearing about. Memory is one area that was set back by two things. There was the supply chain and there were a couple of like the one factory fire that destroyed. Say, and laziness. <laughs> and laziness. I'm sure that factors in too. <laughs> to blame the young and Pure sloth, Don. They just couldn't get off their derrieres and make those chips. <laughs> Well, there there have been some advancements, and we are starting to see some of those come to market. And the the one today is from Samsung, and it's GDDR7. Now, if you go and buy a desktop or laptop today, the odds are it has like DDR4 in it. Uh, but in graphics cards, they need as fast of memory as possible. It's common they have DDR5, DDR6, or GDDR6 is out, uh, and you can buy it. It's just incredibly expensive. But GDDR7 is now rolled out and uh, 32 giga transfers per second. That means like 32 billion transactions or, or communications are happening per second. That's a ridiculous number. And then the sheer amount of bandwidth that it can move. Where is that? That's in here somewhere. Um, it bumps up to somewhere around 128 gigabytes per second data transfer, which is crazy fast. Uh, most people have skipped GDDR6. 
this is like a 50% speed improvement over that. So when you combine it, like if you go from five to seven, it's a pretty big leap. That's a big jump, Don. 50%. Heck. Yeah. By Grapthar's hammer. <laughs> what a savings. <laughs> what a savings. <laughs> and the confused look on Sophia's face is back. <laughs> the like fourth the member of the tech, of Technado. Fourth. <laughs> is Sophia's confused look. Oh, I see. I see. It gets its I've anthropomorphized it, yes. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, you're that. You're welcome. So I was a little, I thought it was, the the first part of this article is said in quite an unexpected twist, and I thought that was funny. Was this like an unexpected development? Well, so the, there was a little bit of controversy, which is there's a, a technology called PAM3, and I cannot for the life of me remember what PAM stands for. Uh, it's not the authentication. Not pluggable access module. Uh, no, it's not that one. <laughs> um, but it it deals with the the state of, of data. You know, Normally when you deal with memory, every single bit that's stored in there is either a one or a zero, Right. But in PAM3 memory, you can do a negative one, a zero, or a one. Don't, don't confuse this with like quantum computing where there's that nebulous state where something can be a zero and a one at the same time. It's not like that. But it's three states for every bit. And that makes this more efficient, right? You know, you have a, basically a whole extra bit that you can squirrel away in there. Uh, and it's not perfect. It's got some problems. And so people didn't expect it to come to market so soon. But here it is. So... Uh, apparently, Samsung decided that it was stable enough to be used for a graphics adapter, which it's funny to call them graphics adapters today because people use them for all sorts of things other than that. The you know, like the whole AI revolution is driven by graphics cards. So the, interesting. What and may, maybe you know this because it just popped into my head because I don't know. What is their major marketing push? Is it through hey, you get better graphics with a better graphics card, or is it? increase your bit mining capabilities or all this, you know, asymmetric fun stuff that you can do with, with computers nowadays. You know, Samsung doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, because they don't, they don't well, they've got to have, they have some focus on their marketing campaign. Is that right? They, they make this memory and they're not trying to sell it to you and me. They're trying to sell it to NVIDIA. Gotcha. They're trying to sell it to ATI, AMD. Uh, they're trying to sell it to the, the people that make those other devices. And, and then they purchase Samsung memory and use it in their devices. Okay. Yep. That's interesting to know. It does say they expect artificial intelligence, high-performance computing, and automotive applications to take advantage of GDDR7. So I guess maybe that's that's the push or the focus? Yeah, I, I think everything will gravitate to it eventually. It's it's fast. What's that going to do for these companies that adopt this stuff? I mean, are they going to drive prices up? Is it going to bring prices down? Or are we going to... What are we going to see advantage-wise out of this, Don? In, in the beginning, it'll drive prices up. Like, yeah. um, if you've bought a NVIDIA card, if you go and buy one right now, a 4090... Uh, an RTX 4090 is, I, I think they're like $2,800 for a video card. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a bit of money there, Don. And then you go to like a 4080, and it gets a little more reasonable. They're like $1,200. $2,700. But even their low-end cards are four or $500 right now. That's a lot. Dang, man, that's crazy. Think back in the day where the high-end cards were 200 300 yeah. maybe yeah uh, for the high end yeah uh so that that whole market's changed and and that's where this will come first and then like any technology over y the years it'll get cheaper and cheaper to produce and spread out other places but then it'll be obsolete at that point <laughs> yeah i mean it'll be gddr8 yeah. 9 and so GDG, on gddr9 thousand <laughs> <laughs> i like that we have such a sunny outlook and disposition on Oh yeah! No, it'll get there eventually, We're not and then it'll be obsolete. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when it becomes obsolete because then I can go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can act. The everyman can get out there. <laughs> that is a weirdly optimistic take for things. you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's okay. I so oddly, I, I get weird. You know, people reach out to me and say, you know, 
um, what would be what would be good for a hacking workstation? Blah blah blah. I'm like a Chromebook. <laughs> Do you have a terminal? Unless you're doing like some crazy password attacks or whatever. Doesn't uh, you just need a browser and yeah. something that can run like Burp Suite and a ter- like a command line tool and a good internet connection. You're pretty good to go. I've talked to people like that where they you, you can tell whether they're thinking in their mind is I want to be able to install Kali Linux directly on this hardware and have all yeah. the hardware supported and be able to do yeah. MAC address spoofing and so on. And it's like, well, you don't really need to do all that stuff or right. you can do it in a VM. And right. Yeah. yeah. So that's true. I was wondering if that's where we were at with this. <laughs> no, it, it, yeah, we'll, we'll see this trickle out into hardware over the years and it, it it'll, it'll be impressive. It, Sometimes like a new version of a product comes out. Yeah. We use Intel as an example, right? So it, you might have a 10th generation i7 and then the 11th generation comes out. Do you mean every time I buy a computer? It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's how most people upgrade. They, they buy a new computer. They don't yeah. think about, oh, this Intel process is getting a little slow. Time to get a new one because they, they don't know the difference between the 10th and the 11th generation. No, I specifically go, what's the latest thing out? Oh, it's 10th gen. Cool. I'm going to go buy that. And then, like a week later, like introducing our eleventh gen process. Yeah, I am going to stab you. Yeah, uh, they're on a one year <laughs> cycle, so yeah, likely to happen. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's that's the way it goes. Technology. Yeah, you're just a little behind the times. I hate it. <laughs> I'm a luddite now. <laughs> <laughs> Giving it all up. Burn this thing, Don. <laughs> We're gonna find Daniel in a like cabin in the yeah. mountains. A big grizzly Adams beer. What do you do to my property? Writing his I manifesto. Yeah. <laughs> the machines are the dead. <laughs> <laughs> As if I didn't. Hold on, I hear an airplane. Get my gun. <laughs> it's the thirty thousand feet, Daniel. I'm gonna get him. <laughs> Before Daniel incriminates himself, we'll go ahead and move on to our next article. This comes to us from Slashdot. Microsoft to offer some free security products after criticism. So we we did talk a little bit about this last week, I think, right? Yeah, this is a bit of a deja news, I guess, where uh, last week we talked about a security incident going on at Microsoft where hackers were able to get a signing key and forge credentials and gain access to some really sensitive Microsoft 365 accounts and their email in particular. Well, one of the comments that I made in the podcast last week was that uh, Microsoft was getting a little bit of criticism because the logs that allowed the, the customers to detect that they had been hacked were only available if you had an E5 license. And Daniel and I had a conversation about what that cost to have an E5 versus an E3 and so on. Um, Plus what got covered. And there's like, because there's big differences between the E5 yep. and E3s. And- Which, you know, we uh, I'll do a shout out to one of our, our viewers, a, a former podcast guest here on Technado wrote in to let me know. Uh, and he said, I, I didn't have to mention him by name, but uh, uh, he reached out to let me know that uh, you know, we were talking about how the, the pricing was licensed and it is per user. Yeah. So you know, E3 is per user, E5 is per user. Uh, and if you, you, you had to be like an E5 to have these logs in place to be able to troubleshoot it. Well, Microsoft did get a little bad press over that. And so they did announce that they are changing the, the, those particular logs that were... Uh, that were referenced last week, those are now available to E3s, and I, I think they're actually making them available free to any customer level, so they're they're wow. opening that one up. But our uh, our previous guest who wrote in let me know that it will be a good chance to remind people that there are a lot of really cool security features in Microsoft 365 that just aren't turned on by default or that people don't know about. And uh, he gave an example about the phishing simulation. And we, we actually use that at our day job where we send fake phishing emails to our employees just to see who clicks on it and, and figure out who needs more training. That's built into your Office 360 or Microsoft 365 account, but it's not on by default. 
you have to actively go and use that tool. There's a ton of features like that that Microsoft can't turn on by default because it might break something that you need. So it's up to you as the customer to one, know it's there, and then two, turn it on and configure it. And that's kind of how these logs are. Like Microsoft's now made them available, but if you're not checking these logs, if you're not actively looking, they're not gonna do you any good, mm. right? So there's still, uh, they call it shared responsibility. When you use a cloud service, you you can't rely on the cloud provider to do everything. You still have a responsibility to maintain that. So, uh, you know, I can kind of see both sides on it, but it's it is frustrating because we would think that uh, an org. I, I said this last week, so I'm repeating myself. But <laughs> you think an organization like Microsoft that had the best employees possible on the job uh, would be able to take care of a lot of this stuff, and, and they do. They take care of a lot of things, they but do. sometimes it slips through the cracks, especially when these big, big, big things happen. You know. Like, I don't know, Chinese spies getting a hold of signing keys. Oops. Seems like a <laughs> one of those big things. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and, and once that became aware, you would think that they is And maybe maybe that did happen. I'm, I'm thinking in my head this conversation. Maybe they did at that point make those logs available after they realized, oh, the only place you can get that is from those logs. Like, did the person from Microsoft explain whether or not that was when that became an effect? Uh, he didn't say that, Okay. but the, the, the logs that we're talking about are called Microsoft Purview, P-U-R-V-I-E-W, uh, and Microsoft's official announcement says that they will be opened up to customers in the coming months. Oh, so, so still not now. Uh, not now, not that I'm aware of at least, uh, but shortly. <laughs> Surely could mean in a few weeks. Surely. It could mean yeah. 2024. Yeah. Who knows? In the coming months, technically, every month is coming. Yes. <laughs> every single one of them is on their way here. Some yeah. of the ones that have already been here. Those are gone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, those are gone. But in the coming months. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, like you said, it does say all customers though in the coming months so it's not like it's just certain tiers it's not like well we'll yeah. just yeah. we'll just allow you know one or two more tiers to, to access this it'll be available to everybody it's just we don't know and, and maybe that just goes to show you how big a leviathan microsoft is and it's it takes a while to make changes to a machine as large as that yeah good for them though for listening to people's feedback and yeah. taking some action on it in the coming microsoft. months in the coming <laughs> yeah <laughs> when they, eventually we'll yeah. get there eventually Where's cool. the fire, Don? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that is that is good news, though. It's nice to have some some good news here. But moving on, we've got another article, uh, and this one's going to be part of a segment called Deja News. Deja News. Now, this might have been something that you guys talked about before before I was on the show. A long uh, time ago. This comes to us from TechCrunch. It says, U.S. government launches the Cyber Trust Mark, its long-awaited IoT security labeling program. So, I guess, if this is Deja News, so this has been in the works for a while. It absolutely has. Yep. For It feels like forever ago. Mm -hmm. We talked about this when the government, the U.S. government, let's clarify, um, set forth with an initiative saying they wanted to, to stick a label on IoT devices. It, and we have reported on IoT devices for a long time because they typically have very, very poor security. So the uh, the government announced what they were going to try and do was come up with a labeling program. Much like when you buy food products here in the U.S., you can look at the label and see how many calories they have, what is a serving size, what vitamins and nutrients they do or do not have, and more importantly, how many trans fats are in there so you know mm. if it tastes good or not. That's right. Uh, <laughs> is it, is it gluten-free? That's right. <laughs> so, uh, so we have food labeling like that. They said, well, why don't we come up with an IoT label? A lot of challenges to that. It's right? hard to, it's hard to like, 
figure out how many trans fats are in an IoT device. There, there is, yep. Yeah, really but uh, how, how do you quantify security? I mean, you can't like put on the sticker like how many zero days are present in this device. Yeah. <laughs> That's not how zero days work. I need a number, sir. What's the percent daily value of zero days yes. in this product? Listen, we are the United States government, and this is how it works. <laughs> so uh, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and blah, Technologies. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, NIST, which is a, a, actually a it's great organization. Great, yeah. They put out a lot of free standards that you can use and save some time with. Uh, but NIST put out a series of guidelines for IoT security, and they have basically used these guidelines to establish what is going to be called Trustmark, this label that can be found on the uh, IoT devices, or it's the cyber Trustmark. Uh, now, I was curious what this label was going to look like, so they finally came out and made the announcement. They said, this is it, we're launching, here it is. You know what the label looks like? Energy Star compliant. <laughs> it looks like a QR code. Does it really? And at first, yeah, yeah. Is it a QR code? It's a QR code. It is a QR code. It is. It doesn't look like a QR code. It, well, it yeah, is like a one. QR code. <laughs> <laughs> so it is a QR code. Sorry, I will I will retract my prior statement. Senator <laughs> uh, <Senator> Pazet. <laughs> when you said it looks like a QR code. <laughs> I don't know why I became a Southern gentleman. Uh, for some Colonel reason, Sanders on the all, other side of the all of my lawyers and whatnot are. I know it looks like murder, yeah. but... Uh, I'm here to tell you, not murder. <laughs> so when I first heard about this, I thought, well, wait a minute, that's, that's a good idea, right? So you can, you can scan this QR code and it will take you not to the vendor's webpage. It will take you to a NIST registered page, one managed by the government, where it identifies, here's the steps you need to take to secure the device. If you need to update firmware, here's where you go to get it. Here's the most recent patches for the device. And if a vendor wants to participate in this program, because it's totally optional, if a vendor wants to participate in this program, they have to register with the, the government to be able to have one of these pages on their device. And I thought, all right, well, that, that's a good way to go about it, right? The, the vendor has to be committed. Mm -hmm. And if I'm at the store and I'm looking at two wireless access points and one has a cyber trust mark code on it and one doesn't, I would... If I didn't know the brands, I would probably lean towards the one that had the the code, right? This ain't like one of those Tommy Boy kind of scenarios where if you want me to take a dump in a box and label it guaranteed, I've got the time. But at the end of the day, all you have is a guaranteed piece of crap. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, my world is movies. You know that, right? <laughs> like, I always want to quote Tommy Boy with the, uh, uh, you know, if I want an opinion on a steak, I could... Oh, cut a bull's horns off or something like that. Like yeah. a get the butcher to stick his head up a bull's yeah, butt or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the quote That's though. Right. It, it's I a it's about too complex one. for me. But uh, but in this case, I, I started thinking about it more, and I was like, wait a minute, how can we totally subvert this program? Right? What's the problem with QR codes? Is you can't tell what they do until you scan it. As a human, you have no idea what it is until you scan it. So you just put a QR code on your box, well, or on the device, whatever the hell it is. Yeah. What's to say, like you, know, you and me create some kind of prank, funny page, order a whole thing of sticker sheets, go down to Best Buy and just walk down the aisle putting yes. our stickers over. Or it. yeah, right over the sticker. Right? Yeah. And yeah. then putting like bad stickers on the ones that don't have one, making you think they're good. And then <laughs> people think like, oh, you know, I, this device must be secure. Let me scan it. Oh, I just got a drive-by on my phone. Yeah. And right. I'm now less secure. Yes. So I I appreciate what they're trying to do, right? Get, create a registered web page that identifies the security credentials of the device.
but I think that QR codes create their own risk. They do. So I I don't know that this is the right solution. I, I would agree with you on that. I think it's long been agreed upon that QR codes because of the innate uh, inability for them to kind of let you know what's happening. Now, our QR scanners kind of tell us what's ha- happening now a lot of times, right? They say, hey, do you wish to go to this link? Yeah. This is the link. But if you're using something like a bit.ly link or whatever, you can't tell what that is anyway. You yeah. know, Apple. Yeah. Apple is generally regarded as regarded. Regardless. I can say it as. Yeah. Uh, oh shoot! I don't have my phone on me. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to test it real quick. I'm pretty certain that if I go to a QR code and I pull up the iPhone camera, yeah. and and look at it, it will show the QR code and then it'll say like "Open in Edge." Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell me the URL. Oh really? I don't. No, I don't my, know. I think my oh, Android here. phone does. <laughs> Sophie just volunteered her phone. Um, Oh no, it's not true. So this one just showed Wikipedia. This one did it do it? Shows App Store. All right, so this yeah okay. This, all right, th- this is working. I'm is remembering working. this okay, wrong. Excellent. Then. Okay. Well, that's why we test these things. So this is also an old domain. phone. So yeah. maybe there's been an update. Yeah. The update is no. You don't need to see that. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> it's none of your business. Calm the hell down over there. All right. Well, QR codes sure are convenient. Yeah. But they're easily exploitable. Uh, yeah. We'll have to see. But I kudos to them for at least trying. Yeah. Right. It's better than nothing. And. Amen. What I hope to see is that IoT vendors out there willingly participate in this program. I wonder how many of our tax dollars went into that program. <laughs> a lot. It, NIST is entirely tax dollar funded, right? Yeah. You're going to put yourself in a bad mood yeah. if you think too long about that. <laughs> ah, I remember you came up with the idea of, I wish there was like a form on our tax years. Of, okay, so this is how much I owe. That's fine. But he's, these are the programs I'm checking off that yeah. my tax money should go to. Yeah. And uh, that's never going to happen. If you can do it with your 401k, yeah. you should be able to do it with your tax dollars. Yeah. yeah. I feel like you need to do the Uncle Sam point yeah. now. Point at the camera. <laughs> I, I found your uh, your your steak quote. Oh, I can excellent. tell you, it's it's a little it's a little Risque. questionable. <laughs> I, I can get a good yeah. look at a T bone by, by sticking my head up, up a bull's, bull's ass. But I'd rather take a butcher's word for it. Yes, <laughs> there you go. It. So you had the general gist, yeah. And then later, Chris Farley ruins it and yeah. says yeah. it the Something wrong way. I can stick my head up a bull's ass, but I'd much rather butcher out. Yeah, rather stick my head in the butcher or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a long time, um, but I have that's seen a good, it. It's I a good laughed movie. so hard when he did the scene where uh, about the brake pads and what happens when you go with the other guy's brake pad. I was gonna die. It's I was crashing that car. I was lo- I was rolling on the floor. I could not breathe. <laughs> it was so funny. That is like peak Chris Farley to me. That was like just some of his best work. I think the, the dinner roll scene is a family favorite for yeah. us. With the he's his pet yeah, or his whatever. Pet, yeah, that's I a favorite. Love it. Like, Edit yeah, and miss yeah. yeah, it's great. Like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, we won't go too far off topic here because we, we, <laughs> we could quote movies all day long. We are going to take a quick break. That's going to wrap up our tech news segment of the show. But don't go away. We'll have more Tech Nito coming up next. Tired of trying to schedule your team's time around in-person learning? Isn't it a bummer to spend thousands of dollars on travel for professional development? What if we said you can save money and time and still provide your team with the best training possible? The answer to your woes is live online training from ACI Learning. With live online training, we provide our top in-person courses in private, online, instructor-led formats. You get to provide professional development in a manner that fits today's expectations. Entertaining, convenient, and effective. Our exam-aligned courses inspire the full potential of your team. Visit virtual instructor-led training at ACI Learning for more info. Welcome back for more TechNATO. We're going to be jumping into some security news in this half of the show. We're, we'll go ahead and jump right in so that I don't give them too much of an opportunity to start talking about something else. So this article comes to what us from 
Okay, so this is what I'm talking about right here. This article comes to us from CNBC. It says, Google restricting internet access to some employees to reduce cyber attack risk. So when I read through this, maybe I'm wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong. I know you will. But it kind of struck me as like a almost like a least privilege kind of thing, but to the extreme. Like if you don't absolutely need internet to do your job, you don't get it, basically. All I heard was Google's insecure. <laughs> got bullied as a child you yeah, can't blame right, it yeah. that's why you know years ago i was uh i was up um where was i was at uh paul security weekly the the podcast oh, yeah. i was up there for their 500th episode and and in the little round table that we did i made a comment and i i was talking about firewall rules right every company has a firewall these days and they filter all sorts of in inbound stuff and i said would it be such a bad thing if we had outbound firewall rules as well. Very few companies implement outbound rules. Basically, if, if you're an employee on the inside, you're allowed to get wherever, right? Which means if your computer gets infected or compromised, it's allowed to go wherever. And most employees don't need access to the full internet. So why, why not limit and restrict them? Well, it it's a terribly unpopular opinion to float out there. But Google is actually looking into that now, years years later. I'm, I'm sure plenty of other, I, I did not invent this. Let <laughs> yeah. me clarify that It wasn't the Dom Pizzette original. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, at least I, I hope it wasn't. <laughs> I hope so, too. Uh, so anyhow, they are looking at that. And they, they've rolled it out in a weird way. Like, they selected 2,500 of their employees. And then they said employees could volunteer to be a part of the program. So if you're a, a Googler, you could actually volunteer to be part of this where you get limited I'm internet sorry, access. Did you say Googler? I think that's what they call it. Is that people, what they're right? called? I thought. Googlers? Yeah. That is a fun term. I learn something new every day. I could be wrong, but I Googlers. thought that's what they, the they call their employees. The Man, terms. if I got a job at Google and they're like, <laughs> our newest Googler, I'll be like, oh, yeah, so I quit. <laughs> no, no, no. If you if you were new at Google, new hires are known as Nooglers. Long-term oh, employees absolutely are Googlers. Quit. <laughs> I, I just, <laughs> that's yeah, real. No, that's I'm a sorry. real thing. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Don. It'd be I worse. To... You could be a Microsofty. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I made that up. Oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, anyhow, so, <laughs> so I was thinking about it, right? In my general day, all right, I, I do need access to the internet because that's how I find out about tech news and other stuff. But the majority of what I do is through Microsoft 365. I'm in my email, Microsoft Teams. That's you how know. you access YouTube? you can do that yeah but uh <laughs> weird you know i was thinking if, if if i were to restrict my internet access to what i need for my job uh email team zoom some of those things those i, I need for my job but the rest of it i, I really don't need hmm. and if you were to take it away that that would secure things right but in a way it's like looking at a house and saying how can i make this house more secure i know i'm going to get rid of all the windows Nobody can break in if there's no windows, right? But it's a little extreme. And normally we try and find a, a balancing point in the middle where you're you're getting adequate security without inconveniencing two people or people too much. But I wonder with this one, you know, are, are we finally at that stage where the internet is just so untrustworthy that right. this is the only option? I mean, if you keep going with your your house analogy, right? On any random street on any given day and anywhere in the world, there's probably fairly few times someone is attempting to break through the window. Whereas the house on the internet, it is how many times a second oh, that window is trying to be breached, yeah. right? So that's it's hard to make that as an apples to apples comparison because of the difference in how much attack traffic is actually occurring for a physical home versus an internet facing device. And like you said, maybe we are just there where it's like we got to build up so many walls and shut off so many things and sacrifice 
on the altar of security, the God of convenience, so that we can have a secure environment. Now that's inside. I'm not saying you do whatever the heck you want inside your own home, right? If you own the device, open it straight up, get buck wild. Probably not the smartest idea in the world, but that's your person. You go do your thing. Inside of a corporation, though, you're trying to keep that data safe. You're responsible for other people's information and sensitive information. It, it might be just the way to go. And I, I know what some people are probably thinking, which is like, you know, it's a little draconian to cut down. What if I want to check my personal email or whatever? You pull out your phone. <laughs> yeah. In the past, that used to be a problem. But today, everybody's got a phone. You've yeah. got a personal device. They, they probably have a guest Wi-Fi you could join up. Get crazy. It doesn't seem as unreasonable as yeah. it used to. Yeah. Uh, so, so, Daniel, let me get your opinion. Let's say that you are the CISO for a company with 10,000 employees. Yeah. Massive attack surface yeah. uh, in terms of social engineering. Yeah. Uh, would you entertain the idea of restricting internet access? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, I've worked for a company that restricted internet access. I know what that's like to be an end user on the other side of that. And for the most part, whenever you did run into, like, I need some internet here. Like, I could, I really need to have that. You just, a little bit of a ticket. Someone goes, what do you need? This is what I need. This is why I need it. Awesome. Give me a second here. We're going to mull this over and see whether or not it's a worthy endeavor to give you access to that. If so, we'll give it to you. If not, Try something else. And that's just kind of how it went. And that, was, that wasn't that was often that that occurred. It was happened every now and then. But we had very restricted internet access on what I could and could not get yeah. access to because they were trying to be more secure. And we were pretty tight because of it. You know, uh, I think I know the environment you're talking yeah. about. Uh, that was WebSense. Yeah, WebSense. Uh, that was yep. used there. And uh, WebSense was pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, I'm off on a tangent here. So <laughs> sorry. I'll but, allow uh, it. I'm uh, hoping the nostalgia can because Don knows what exactly. A, a few months ago, somebody asked me about web filtering, and I was yeah. like, "Well, I've got a lot of experience with WebSense, but I haven't used it in years." Right. And I went, I could not find. Is it out of business? I, I don't think they went or out of business. Just I like, think they got acquired, and they're another company. But I couldn't figure it out. Like they, it's almost like they disappeared. So if you're a listener out there in TV land, and you know what the heck happened to WebSense? Sense. Yeah. <laughs> shoot me an email. Let yeah. me know. Uh, you know, go to the Technado website and you can hey, shoot us a message. They got acquired by Fortinet. <laughs> so they. I, I'm guessing, if I if I had to guess, that they got acquired by uh, Semantic. Oh, okay. Because Semantic buys every security product and then lets it die, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's their business model. I don't understand it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I feel like I could be their CEO. Because <laughs> how hard is it? You just you buy whatever security product you can and then just literally do absolutely nothing with it and let it die. And then you're the only game in town. Yeah. But, but all your stuff is, you know, Crap. <laughs> Don't matter if you're the only thing in town, Don. Yeah. You said it's called WebSense? WebSense. Are you, are you actually curious what happened to it? Yeah, do you know? Do you know? So I Googled it. I like how Don did, did not think to Google it, apparently. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I did. I mean, I didn't put a ton of effort into yeah. it, but I did some. So I just Googled what happened to WebSense, and he it does- He passed out drunk before he does, got to the- <laughs> <laughs> It's a massive conspiracy. That's as far as he got was he typed it they, in. They covered everything up. <laughs> It says uh, they, in 2015, they acquired a network security vendor called Stonesoft from Intel. And then in 2016, the company was renamed to Forcepoint. And then Francisco Partners acquired them in 2021. Forcepoint. All right. Supposedly. I'm just, I'm reading from from the Google. All right. Well, if you are a Forcepoint customer. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us your experience. You may be entitled. (laughs) Now, going, we're talking about the web. Going beyond that, though, if you think about all the other protocols that are in use, and all the exfiltration that happens with ransomware and so on, if you blocked everything else, totally makes sense. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. no, like, you know, that's that's always been one of the major security, like, things that you do is check to see what ports and services are available on your devices. 
turn off and, and or block anything that you don't need that you're not using. It's just, that's how it goes. And we just, we kind of got lazy and said, not that it's like super hard to make this happen, but as to Don's point, we never really, well, uh, in times past, haven't really focused on egress filtering. Yeah. It's all been on what's coming in. But guess what? Since malware's a thing, you got to worry about stuff going out. Yeah. Right? And I remember having a conversation well before I was ever a cybersecurity quote-unquote expert. Uh, <laughs> I know. I, I like to hedge my bets. <laughs> and someone was like, here's the thing, man. If you put got the right firewall and just block everything except the ports that you absolutely need, you're safe. I'm like... I don't think that's right. Yeah. Right? Because, well, why are you opening a port? Well, because I have a service on the other end of it. Is the service 100% secure? Because if it's not, you still are possibly going to get attacked. Yeah. And and port numbers aren't enforced. You know, like no. you can netcat just about anything over any port, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Go buck wild. So you'd have to be really specific about source and destination IPs and all that mess. It's, it's hard to do. Yeah, probably like an allowed list versus a deny list yeah. would be the way to go. It's tricky work, and it can it be is. a lot of maintenance, yeah. but who knows? I, I love when it's like, hey, we can't get to such and such, and we're like, it's time to read the firewall rules. <laughs> Where did we go wrong? Yeah. You did mention one of the things uh, being, oh, what if I can't access my email or whatever, and it not being as much of a problem now because people have phones, but if you're a Gmail user... Google does allow access to Google-owned websites. So even if they Makes cut sense. off access to the internet, you can still access Google Drive. So just use Gmail, and then you'll be fine. Well, now, does that mean, so let's say I'm a ransomware author, and I hear about this program. Google's going to cut off internet access, uh, except for access to their own applications, right? Yeah. So doesn't that just mean I need to find a way to exfiltrate data using Google's own apps? Yeah, you, right? you, you, move, you shift your focus yeah. at yeah. that point, yeah. You, what is it, Google Messenger or something? They have like a Messenger app and they've mm. got Gmail, and so I'm sure there's a way yeah, to do it. Yeah, well, you could, you could grab the data you want to exfiltrate, archive it, dump it into Google Drive, and then kick off an email to an external email address through yeah. Gmail with yeah. a link to the shared Google document and that's download good. it. Yeah, yeah. All right, all of a sudden this falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> it's a giant waste of time. Yeah. We need like full fencing off, no in infill or extra uh, exfiltration. You just live inside of Google. Yeah. You're not allowed to leave. It, it's a it's a walled garden. That's right. We need a great firewall <laughs> built around it. This is a this yeah. is a new idea. I'm, I'm inventing this right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. In real time. Yeah, and uh <laughs> <laughs> if only somebody could make Oh, that. dear leader Don, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> so before we move on, you had, you had talked about, we talked about Googlers and Nooglers and all that, and you made the joke about Microsofties. Mm -hmm. That's a real thing. It's no. this, <laughs> yeah. oh Microsoft employees it takes like call themselves. to come up with a better name. They call themselves <laughs> Microsofties or sometimes just Softies. All right. <laughs> yeah. So it's a we, real thing. We need this for the podcast. I think I think we should be called Technators. <laughs> <laughs> the Technators. The Technators. Face so, uh, Facebook people are called Facebookers. Real creative. Wrong. Yeah. yeah Amazon. No. Amazonians. I mean, that makes sense. Amazonians. I mean, that's the coolest one so far. This one's an older entry. It says at Twitter we call ourselves Tweeps. Gonna go with no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know from me. Yeah, I'll be like, you call me Tweep again, I'm gonna kick your ass. <laughs> it does sound like a weird. We like, are going to fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just like somebody misspelled twerp. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Anyway, I just figured I would let you know you you corrected you correctly predicted it and you didn't even know it. So it's the scene from Office Space. You ever have a case of that? Somebody ever tell you you have a case of Mondays? <laughs> no. Shit, no. <laughs> man, I believe you get your ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to throw us off track again. I just hey, wanted to make sure we got that in. At, at, at Technado, we go it's the hard hitting. There is no. There's a reason it's called Technado. We just spin off the ground and go yeah. somewhere entirely we are different. Just whirling dervishes out here. <laughs> so moving on, we'll go into our next segment. This is my personal favorite. It's called Dope. I love seeing uh, Daniel's reaction over there. He gives me like a little eyebrow. Um, I'm always raise. like, I need to get like uh, a little whiteboard. So this article comes to us from the Hacker News. It says, new OpenSSH vulnerability exposes Linux systems to remote command injection. And from what I read about this, it looks like this is a flaw that could potentially be exploited to run specific commands under specific conditions. And there's a patch, but not everybody's implemented that patch. So there's still a lot of devices that are falling victim to Welcome this. Welcome to security. Yeah. <laughs> there's a patch, but not everybody's doing it. Yeah, now this one... Uh, at as of the filming of this episode, this one is breaking news. Anytime you hear about a vulnerability in OpenSSH, that's a big deal, right? Because the same people that develop OpenSSH are involved in OpenSSL. It's used all over the place. And it, like with SSH, it's almost always tied to administration of devices. So really, really bad news if there's a vulnerability there. Um, this one has not been fully analyzed yet. It does not have a threat score attached to it. And from my amateur level of cybersecurity knowledge reading through and, and looking at this this one i think is going to be a non-issue for us because it requires so many things to fall into place like you have to be running a particular version of open ssh and there have to be some other libraries on the system that they, they have to be present already and they have to find a way to forward authentication requests to another location which is i mean that's not an easy thing to do I feel like this one's going to blow over, but I always question my own interpretation of it. So, Daniel, what, what did you learn about this one? Don, I feel like you're spot on with this one. This is going to be, it's very difficult to have the stars and moons align correctly for you to be able to exploit this vulnerability. The attacker already has to have access to the forwarding server. So they've already have to have compromised the system at some point before they're able to now compromise other systems via the SSH forwarding. That is, that's kind of the crux of this issue. So without that, they're kind of SOL when it comes to being able to actually implement this. I, I, I assume this will probably come out um, and probably be like maybe a medium grade uh, CVSS score, but it's, it's highly technical. Yeah. Again, a lot of very specific moving parts that must be aligned correctly. There's already a patch. By the time this thing actually becomes proof of concept, live at five kind of thing, it, it's probably a non-issue for the most part. Now, that doesn't mean you can like wipe your brow, walk off into the sunset, feeling like the hero of the story here. Make sure that you're patching your systems, you're doing the upgrades, because why make it easier, right? What would be the purpose in that? Because you never know. There will be those times when there is an attacker who has already made themselves uh, ingressed into the right server where... They will have control over the right things, which will allow them to utilize this attack. So we don't want to make that available for them. Just go ahead. There are there is a patch available. Stop dragging your heels. I know yep. it's there can be some testing that needs to be done, and there still needs to be some testing done. But and you got some time, so that's good. But have a schedule ready for having that upgrade implemented. So two two thoughts I want to add to it, and the reason I wanted to mention it today was. Uh, one, this does not seem like the type of attack that somebody would use to gain access to your network, but once they're in, this is the land and expand, right? right. So they gain a foothold and they grow it. This is a, a tool that they would use. So 
while this CVE by itself might be low risk, when it's combined, what is it called? A chain? Attack chain. Attack chain. Yeah. When you build an attack chain, this may be a piece of it that might be far more significant. So that's important. Yeah. The other thing is this exploit was possible because of an incomplete fix to a previous exploit, which was CVE 2016-10009. That means this particular exploit has been floating around and viable for almost seven years. It's six years, definitely, right? Uh, yeah, it makes you wonder, has it been being exploited? And now we're just learning about it because researchers have discovered it and because those attackers out there were tight-lipped and just didn't say anything about it and we're not seeing it actively you know, being exploited in any real sense of the term. Who knows? That's a possibility, yeah. right? And that's where it, it shows how valuable it is to not just to look at it and say, oh, this is a medium risk, I'm going to throw it yeah. away, right? But to look at what are the indicators of compromise right. and see if you can find those on your own system, which is, is what a cybersecurity analyst should be doing yeah. most days, right? That's, I mean, that's the job, right? It's what you got in the game for, right? So that you can find the, I mean, it is kind of cool, let's be honest, right? The fact that if you read this research on, we were randomly looking through the source code of SSH agents, and lo and behold, we saw this weird little thing, and we thought, you know what? I bet that I'll have access if I if they're looking for library files. What if I'm able to supply my own? And what if and I could and oh 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 yep yep. So it is like super smart people that were able to discover and, and, and find these and that they had the time to look through source code for vulnerabilities and then responsibly disclose them. Kudos to those researchers out there, high level. I mean, these are the. These are the upper echelons. This is what we all aspire to be one day, right? Is to have that yeah. level of skill so that we can lend this type of help to the security space. So really cool stuff in my estimation. Yeah, and it does highlight a, a challenge that I hear about a lot where people yeah. people watch movies like <laughs> hackers and scanners and uh Swordfish, right? Careful you know, now, Don. Don't you stand on my dreams and my, my childhood. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I thought my life was going to be hacking and moving 3D blocks around <laughs> to gain access to a server or whatever. And, and in reality, you're spending your day checking the version number of library files. Yeah. Uh, but that's the life. And, and failing a lot. That's the fun part about it, right? Is where you go, I think, and you try, and that didn't work. But it did yeah. not work, work, you know, but it, I still feel like I'm on the right, and you're pulling at the thread. You ever watch The Ghost in the Darkness with Val Kilmer? Mm -mm. So there's these lines. This is a true story. It really is in Savo, Africa. They're building a bridge. This is in the turn of the century, of the 20th century, that is. And these lions are killing people, and they're eating them. And apparently once lions get a taste for people, they have a taste for nothing else. Yeah. And they're terrorizing this camp. And so he builds this trap, <laughs> right, to catch the lions. And it almost worked, but it didn't. And everybody's making fun of it. And he goes, I'm, <laughs> how did he put it? I'm, um, how was it? What was it? He said that he, he, he believes that the theory is sound, that the, that the plan is sound. Yes, it didn't work, but I'm going to try it again. That is the job of a security expert is believing that what you are thinking is right. Cause in your head, it's telling you there's something here. You just have to now get smart enough and knowledgeable enough to figure out how to make that work. That is a lot of cybersecurity. So in, in summary, if you can be as used to failure as Daniel is, yes. then you'll do fine in cybersecurity. Yeah. If, you, if you're willing <laughs> to get punched in the face a lot, <laughs> metaphorically that is, by your devices.
And coworkers. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. That's true. I've seen we'll just, We've got that meeting with HR. <laughs> we don't want to give away the ghost here. Come on, Don. <laughs> we've placed our bets already. It's too late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for that little bit of lore and uh, yeah. into that movie. Cause I, that's I'm convinced the theory is sound. That's what he said. I'm convinced, I'm convinced the theory is sound. Okay. I tried looking for yeah. it. I had no luck. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to just give up. So I'm glad you remembered. Yeah. We'll go ahead and move on to our next article. Uh, this one's part of a segment called Who Got Pwned? Looks like you're about to get pwned. Fatality. Yeah! I didn't know this was about your dad. (laughs) All right, look. I'm sorry, Dad. We're giving Papa Goodman a hard time today, because why not? It just means they like you, I promise. We wouldn't talk to you if we didn't like you. This this article, my dad doesn't talk to anybody. What are you talking about? Right, because he don't like nobody. That's my kind of guy. He's a smart guy. (laughs) That's right. So this comes to us from Ars Technica. Unless it's from his banker. It says, man... I'm going to get so much trouble next time I go home. Thanks so much for that. She is chucking you under it's the like, bus. It's like time. having my brothers here. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. <laughs> so I, I'm forgive me if I mispronounce this. This comes from Ars Technica. Zixel? Or Zixel, if you're French. Isn't that Zixel like a, users. A Superman. So like, yeah, it's, uh, it's what he's alluding <laughs> to. Mr. Zixel. You have to say the name backwards. <laughs> yeah, you have to, to say his backwards, name backwards. It's like an M Oh, from my the God. Yeah, I, th- yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, something like that. So Zixel users, is my point, Zixel users still getting hacked by DDoS botnets emerge as public nuisance number one. So this is a a vulnerability that there's a patch for it, once again, but it's just that organizations have yet to implement it, and so it's causing problems. You know, um, it's interesting, and I, for years, I have tried to be somewhat neutral on a lot of things, and I I try not to call out company names specifically, but I've gotten a little (laughs) looser with that recently. Because there's a few just names that you keep seeing pop up. Fortinet. <laughs> week after week, Sorry. month after month. Yeah, Fortinet definitely <laughs> is one. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Fortinet. I heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> Fortinet, uh, Microtique. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or, you know, we used to call it Microtic because we didn't know any better. But, I was uh, Microtic. But it, but it is actually Microtique, yeah. is how you say it. Wrong. Uh, I had to look that up. Uh, Zixel. You, I don't care that they made one. it up, they're wrong. The pronunciation is microtech. <laughs> these guys, they, they make routers, switches, firewalls, right? Uh, so they make devices that are used in network infrastructure, and they're cheap. That's their real claim to fame, right? So they, they try and create successful, effective security devices on a low budget. Uh, Microtech in particular is very popular in Europe and the Middle East. Uh, Zixel is uh, definitely in Europe, but also here in the U.S. to an extent, but not as big. Fortinet is big here in the U.S., but all three vendors have something in common, which is a constant stream of exploits and vulnerabilities that are frustrating. And sometimes they are good about getting a patch or or fix released pretty quickly, but they don't exactly put a lot of effort into getting their customers to update, either by making it difficult or just not by notifying customers. If the customers are already buying the cheapest stuff, then they're probably not very concerned about security. Otherwise, they wouldn't be bottom dollaring it. Well, unless, well, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the the main lesson here, I, I don't think for our listeners is like, hey, stay away from Zixel. Although you probably should. Uh, it's this is really it's a failing by a number of people. But we can blame the end users for a while. But we're at the point now where I think we really need to blame these companies. Like. How many times do we have to hear about Zixel before we say, don't buy their stuff? How many times do we have to hear about Fortinet with hard-coded admin credentials in the background they don't want to tell anybody about before we say, don't buy their stuff? And I, I think we're at that point where 
we need to stop buying their stuff. You ready for a fun fact? What's that? It was Fortinet that discovered the vulnerability. <laughs> oh, in the Zixel stuff? Yes. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> hmm. I wonder if they're partnered super up fun, yeah. yeah. Super fun. It's a small no, they, world, they, isn't yeah. it? A lot of these companies have like threat research groups or whatever, and that's what they do. They just mm. are analyzing new threats that are out there. Fortinet is one of them, and they just happen to be, or maybe they didn't. Maybe they just quote unquote so happen to be. Mm. Mm. Makes you go, hmm, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of these companies do share hardware, manufacturing plants, developers. So sometimes they might be separate companies, but actually have some of the same development team. You never quite know. But, uh, you know, it, it just shows, though, that when you're trying to secure a network, when you're concerned about that and you're buying appliances, you've really got to take a look at the vendor and their track record. And... By the way, I got to back that up. They discovered the uh, uh, Fortinet discovered the propagation of several DDoS botnets exploiting the Zixel vulnerability. Okay, that's what they found, uh, and they did a big write up on the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. But this is a case of uh, a patch was released twelve weeks ago, four months ago, no three, three months ago. Where's the fire, do Don? Math, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, people haven't done updates. Now, so we we've worked in enterprise space. I'm sure there are people that are listening going, but but Don, but Daniel, you know, there's good reasons. There are some good reasons not to immediately patch things. Give me one. Give me one. Let, let's let's play devil's advocate I, here. Just look at Apple last week where they did the rapid response rollout and it broke some websites and they had to roll it back. And it broke a bunch of stuff. What would you say in your experience, that is, of course, this is obviously kind of a subjective thing. In your experience, what has been a good schedule for rolling out new critical vulnerability, whatever updates so if, if it's critical yeah uh you know 48 to 72 hours okay yeah it yeah. needs to be it needs to be quick but you don't want to be day one for those times when there's rollbacks let somebody else be the guinea pig nice and i think that's that would be reasonable i think that seems reasonable we've got to do a little bit of testing make sure not everything sure. breaks when we roll this thing out and you know, bite your nails and, and hope to the best fingers crossed everyone uh because sometimes that does happen things go break break but I mean, come on! How long has this damn thing been out? Twelve weeks. I yeah. mean, come on, people! Come on! So, They're going to update it in the coming months. <laughs> yeah. Just give them time. That's the standard uh, uh, marketing ploy, right? Yeah. yeah. In the coming months. <laughs> yeah, a million years ago, I worked for a bank, yeah. and uh, the way we did our rollouts was we actually had an in, at the at the headquarters office we had an entire bank branch effectively built out in our tech room. So that we could we could immediately start testing patches. That's cool. And then we had four branches that were designated as our test branches, and they were all ones we could drive to in under fifteen minutes. And so we could deploy to those branches. We had extra hardware at the branches, so like if we botched the firewall, you just swap the firewall out. Nice. Uh, you know, not even roll back the software. Yeah. Just swap just the hardware swap. out. Done. Uh, so we're minimizing that downtime. Uh, and then once it passed through that, we were ready for the wider rollout. So, you know, you need to have a testing plan in place. But if you're a small business, if you're a dentist office with like eight employees. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. And I think you also need to realize and recognize that no security program you put in place is going to be effective. You're too small. Well, and like, why are these devices not auto updating? That's the thing. Right. Again, these are if these are small home, small business kind of devices, they don't know. Yep. You slap out that update, everything still works. They don't, they're not doing a bunch of firewalling and things of that nature with it. Just give them the update. So Microsoft used to do that yeah. where updates were not turned on automatically. Yeah. And if you wanted it, you needed a WSUS server or whatever. You know, you needed to put infrastructure out there and, yeah. and turn it on yourself. But the times have changed. And so today when you install Windows, automatic updates are turned on by default, right? 
that mentality is not spread to all of these other companies. And they view it as risk. Like, what if they're automatically updating your wireless router at home and it bricks it? Yeah. Now, now they got to replace it, right? Obviously, yeah. They, they have to roll that cost in because if they brick your stuff, obviously they need to replace it. So be good at your updates. But in, in I don't want to conflate the idea between, like, I kind of made that point already as far as, like, if Zixel is a home or small business, you're not got, you don't have people on like life support with a Zixel device in front of you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That would be wrong. (laughs) I believe that you would be criminally negligent if you did it at this point. Um, So we're not talking about enterprise level things. And on those things, yeah, you have an IT team and their job is to, to schedule and purposefully do things in an organized manner so that it does not bork your entire network or critical systems. Yeah. Right. So maybe in that space, we still leave that up to the IT team. And then that's why you would be criminally negligent if you did not do that without good cause. So if, if it's been four weeks and you are in an enterprise land, you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Seen, yeah. I think, you know, when you look at these companies, they, they look at it as, all right, there's a risk. If we remote update and it bricks a device, we have to deal with it. Right. Or if we don't do the update, the customer gets hacked and the customer has to deal with it. Right. So easy call. Yeah. You know, put it on the customer. Well, right. Mm. And then if that's the case, it's on you, customer. Don't buy their crap. Yep. And yeah. I, I think that's where we're at. Yeah. There's, I just, I like looking through the comments sometimes just because it's interesting to see what people have to say. And um, I didn't realize they have like an upvote, downvote system on Ars Technica, like in, oh, like yeah. on Reddit or whatever. And they'll let you see. So this one got quite a few downvotes. But uh, <laughs> they, and they said this is going to be a really unpopular opinion. But I think that all connected devices uh, should have auto-update enabled by default and impossible to disable. And it should be required that the last update for any product should be to permanently kick it offline or brick it. Because otherwise users will keep products on that don't have support anymore and stuff like that. So just take away the option from them altogether. The user doesn't have to worry about it. Just brick it as soon as... As soon as the device is no longer getting support, basically, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, that's yeah, when you brick it. Yeah, that's when you give up the idea of ownership altogether. Right, exactly. Like, I, I no longer yeah. own any device yeah, that I'm I not have. down with that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So they, the people here, clearly agreed because it's it had several downvotes. But I just thought it was you were talking about like uh, yeah. auto updates and everything, and how why are these not enabled by default? And this person's in agreement on that front. Mm. Just maybe they took it a just little a, bit. Yeah, they little they, too little too. They the kept extreme. marching off the clip with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And while we're at it, anybody that doesn't update their devices, just kill them. Yeah. That's <laughs> what we'll do. Is we'll build these camps, right? And we'll stick them in it. And like, Whoa, bro. <laughs> Got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah. We're very committed to the bit. <laughs> well, all right. I think uh, I, I'm going to stop scrolling through the comments now because otherwise <laughs> I'll, I'll go down. There's a lot. You, you know the internet rule, right? <laughs> Never read the comment section. <laughs> it's just so fun, Daniel. It can be. Yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and click out of that because otherwise I'll I'll be here all day. What's this forge? What? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Like I said, we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and stop it there. Yeah. I did want to mention once again though that Technado is sponsored by ACI Learning, the people behind IT Pro. So keep in mind you can use that discount code Technado thirty for a discount on an IT Pro membership. I also wanted to mention ACI Learning has some cool webinars and live on social events you're able to watch. We had one last week uh, that had to do with ChatGPT, which is a hot topic right now. And if you missed it, you can still go back and watch it on the YouTube channel. And ACI Learning will be, I believe the phrasing they used was revving up the tech world, literally and figuratively, at Black Hat in a couple of weeks here. It's going to be August 5th to the 10th. They're going to have a Mario Kart tournament running at their booth. That's booth 1589, I believe. And I'm going to be there as well. So it's going to be super fun. And just, you know, come hang out. It's going to be really fun. There's going to be prizes and we're going to have a good time. 
But I think that's going to do it for me, unless there's anything I'm forgetting. Nope, I think that's a wrap for this week. Radio silence from the peanut gallery. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys, for joining me for this discussion. Not that you had a choice. And thank you for watching this episode of Technado. We'll see you next time. Help me.